Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my name is Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Podcast. Mobile World Congress, the world's largest mobile phone-centric trade show, is back and on in full force this week. With plenty of announcements expected, we've already seen several companies go early with their announcements as they try to get ahead of the pack. One of those companies is Oppo, who this week announced its Find X5 range. And Apocalypse Cam Bunton has been following the news and even has one of the devices. And guess what? It's here to tell us more. Meanwhile, I've been talking to the CEO and co-founder of a company that can determine who you are by your voice and plans to help your digital assistant know that it's you talking, even in a crowded room or noisy environment. And then Cam, lucky boy, comes back again to talk about the Panasonic Lumix GH6 digital camera, the follow-up to the incredibly popular GH5. Can Panasonic improve what's already been a great camera, or is it a bit of a misfire this time around? Stay tuned to find out. But before we start talking cameras, Cam... Can you tell us more about the Oppo Find X5 Pro launch? I can. So it's the latest flagship phone from Oppo. In the past, the Find series, well, I say in the past, it was about three or four years ago. In the past, the Find series was sort of their innovative range where they tried mm. new and unusual things. But now it's very much the standard ultra premium flagship phone. This is like the iPhone Pro Max or the Samsung Ultra. Um, that's what this is to Oppo. Right. And so what's exciting about it? What's what's groundbreaking? The, this is obviously clearly a flagship play, isn't it? Yes, it is. And one of the things that stands out is the use of the materials um, and the design. Like last year, they had glass on the back of the phone and it was one seamless piece of glass and it sort of curved up to this camera ramp or hump. And this year they've done the same, but they've done it with ceramic to go wow. one better, um, which means it's more durable, more long lasting, more scratch resistant, and it looks pretty nice too. And so that's obviously clearly a luxury play. It is, yes. And and does it work? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean to look at, you can't really tell it's not glass, but it's kind of comforting to know that if you drop your phone or something scratches against it, it's not going to get as easily damaged as if it was just your standard glass phone. But it, I mean, a lot of the other specifications and features are pretty much standard for flagship phones these days. And how does the Oppo, the new Oppo range sit within the sort of the current lineup? I know we've still got at time of recording, we've still got more announcements to come from MWC itself. Yeah. We've obviously had the Samsung Galaxy S22 launch. Does does this sit fairly, you know, have they put out a good stall or do you think it's going to be overtaken very quickly by others? It could be. I think the, the challenge Oppo faces, and it's one that they've been facing for the past few years, is still just that awareness of their brand name. Um, I think it's so people are very familiar with Samsung now. They've been making flagship Android phones for what, 10 years, 11 years, maybe yeah. 12. Um, people are very, very familiar with Samsung. Um, and Oppo is still a bit of an unknown entity. But in terms of design, I think they've got something here that's a bit different to everyone else. And so that will help them stand out from the pack, I think. And really, that's just a case of just trying to throw money at marketing and, and advertising beyond 
the amount of money they've already thrown sort of sponsoring Wimbledon and, and things like that. Yeah, and football clubs and all sorts. So, yeah, I think it's it's that brand recognition, isn't it? People need to know that their phones are good, which they are, um, but whether or not they're going to switch from their Samsungs is, is a different story entirely. Now, the Pro, the X5 Pro leads the pack. There are obviously others within the range. How, does it, do they kind of, is it the same specs, but just slightly different, or does it kind of drop off quite quickly? No, it does drop off a little bit. So there is... The regular Find X5, which looks very similar to the X5 Pro, but it has glass on the back and it has a lower resolution display. Uh, and then the X5 Lite, which is basically your standard mid-range, box standard affordable Android phone. Um, but they charge you more for it than, say, OnePlus or Realme would, despite it being essentially the same device. And uh, are we expecting these out to be, to be out pretty quickly? Yeah, the release date, I believe, is March the 24th. Um, the Find X5 Pro, in the UK at least, will be about £1,049 uh, retail price. So that's pretty standard for your top-level top flagship phones. Uh, and given the features it's got and the specifications, I think it's it's a fair price when you compare it to the likes of Samsung and Apple. Uh, yeah, but yeah, they'll be out in March. Now, we're on the eve of MWC, so it would be remiss to be, for me not to ask you. I know you're going out to the show. What, what are we looking forward to? Is there like, you're, what's the thing that you're, you're thinking, okay, this might change, this might change the, the, the landscape? It's, it's hard to know. At the moment, from, from what I know, um, it seems a lot of the phone launches at MWC are very much the mid-range market phones. I'm not sure if there are any big names coming out. Um, so... In terms of that, I don't think there's much to expect. I think companies have sort of moved more towards launching big products at their own events separate from MWC. Mm. So I think it'll be interesting to see if there is anything at all worth talking about. Still to come, Cam returns to give us his verdict on the Panasonic Lumix GH6. So for me, in my mind, it's it's for me. It's all for me. No, it's... um. For people like myself, I think, who film and want to make good-looking videos, um, don't have a huge budget to spend on really expensive full-frame cameras. We've all been there, shouted an instruction at a smart speaker on the other side of the room, only for it to apply with something completely unrelated. Is it us that's speaking badly, or the digital assistant not being smart enough to understand? Add to that the want for us to have smart speakers understanding different people in the room, me over my wife for example, and you can see there's still plenty of way to go for the underlining technology that powers it all. Audio software company Yobi is trying to bridge that gap with what it calls emotional intelligence, working to get our digital assistants to not only understand our words, but also our intent, mood and even stress levels, stating that our voice print is even more individual to us than a fingerprint. Keen to find out more, I recently caught up with the founder, Ken Stutton, and I started by asking him to explain what the company actually does. Well, Yobi is a software company that has harnessed uh, the power of artificial intelligence to basically duplicate the human auditory system as it relates to voice. So that's just a a fancy way of saying uh, we have the ability to extract voice metadata. That means your biometrics, direction of arrival, and all the things associated with your voice from a high noise environment. Um, so the applications for that, just to try to bring it into more of a consumer mm. type of, of vernacular, is the ability for your you know, Siri to work in your car or your smart uh, television to hear you across the room with screaming kids, you know, in-laws, dogs barking and those type of things. 
and also to give it some intent, meaning we can pass on some information about who's actually talking. So if you have a profile associated with that device, we can pull that up using your voice. Uh, we can do some high-level sentiment analysis and emotion detection. And of course, you know, traditional cleaning up of speech so you can translate that or transcribe it rather to a command. These are all the things that we enable devices to do in what we call everyday noisy environments. And, and you talk about the, the nuances in, in human speech and, and almost the biometrics of, of determining who I am and stuff. How, how does it go about doing that? How does it say, oh, this is Stuart. He's at the other side of a cocktail party and he's clearly wanting to listen to me, to listen to you know, something I'm saying. Exactly, Stuart. So, so, you know, the human voice is as complex as the human fingerprint. Uh, there, there are a couple of things that make it extremely unique. Uh, you have physical cues, which are things like the, you know, the length of my larynx or my tongue cavity or the size of my mouth that are just, you know, really obviously, you know, unique to Ken and Ken's, you know, physiology. And then you have social cues, you know, obviously, you know, Stuart, you know, I'm not speaking with the English accent. So the way that I say words like, let's say, Connecticut, because I'm from Connecticut, uh, is different than someone else's way of saying Connecticut. So if you take those two different, you know, fundamental formants, if you would, you know, my, my physical, you know, makeup, as well as my social cues, and you put that into a combination lock, the way that I speak in the tones that are coming out of my, my, my vocal cords are uniquely, um, unique, lack of a better term, for Ken. And so as long as you can get a clean signal where you can actually see those nuances, um, it is, you know, uh, I don't want to say it's trivial, but it's, it's very easy to tell people apart using voice biometrics. Um, and we didn't invent this methodology. This is something that's been around for years. Our real value proposition to the equation is the ability to do it, even though there's interfering noise in other background situations that make it difficult to extract that metadata. And so how do you go about isolating the speakers? Because, you know, I could say, all right, you could, I've got my biometrics of my voice. That's fine. We've, we've worked that one out. But I could be in a crowded room or there could be noise from, as you say, from a road, from the car. Now, if I'm trying to match against perhaps a, a car horn or something, then that's probably fairly easy because I don't sound like a car horn. But if I'm sounding like other voices in the room, is it just a case of working out each biometric and then saying, oh, that must be not, that can't be him. It's got to be, got to be that person instead. And that's a great question. And the way I would frame it uh, is back to the, the, the genesis of the technology, which is how does the human auditory system separate voices, right? And so we're using a lot of different tools in a cocktail party, which is the actual scientific term is a cocktail party problem to disseminate different voices. And we're using things like unique pitch. We're using things like range because we know how far the person is. We're using things like direction of arrival. We know which direction a person is in. So we use all those tools uh, to do the same thing. And it's not just looking at the biometric signature, because in a lot of situations, we don't have a preset signature. We just know that there's, like on this call, we know there's you know two people on the call. We don't know who those two people are. We just know they're different voices, and they're coming from different angles and different tenors and uh, different ranges if I'm in a live situation. So we use all those tools to extrapolate, well, who is the voice of interest and how do we separate that from other voices? And do you need anything to, is this something you can just apply to current technologies? And, and I suppose the, the following question is, that, is, is, in it in a, is it in te a technology that we have access to already? Well, yes. Uh, you know, one of our larger clients um, 
you have to be careful, um, are three-letter agencies in Washington, D.C. that like to listen to, to situations. So just, just put it that way. Um, yeah, from a commercial application, there are some brands that use our technology as enablers that, they, you know, white label our solution. So their you know, technology tends to work a little more effectively in the, uh, on the edge. But, you know, our real requirements are, you know, very similar to humans. We need two or more microphones, two or more inputs. And our solution is, is you know, suited for those situations. So a lot like human hearing, two ears, um, you know, we, we are effective and we're software based, right? So we don't have to have a, a dedicated device specifically for our solution. Uh, as long as we have access to two microphone inputs uh, and we can download our solution or be part of your you know, SDK stack or embedded, depends on the, the client's needs, uh, we're pretty agnostic uh, to the platform. And presumably this technology is not something that you just go, oh, I've got this idea. And then like a week later, it's it's in place. How, how long have you been working on, on doing this? <laughs> yeah, that that's a very good question, Stuart. And, and it, it's, you know, we've been working at this for at least five years. The beginning of the company, when I started the company, is around some IP that we discovered in a studio, broadcast studio. You know, we were working on a problem with autism and perception of frequencies. And um, our first focus was actually in music. Um, but we were tracking the voice market. And so we applied some of our tools for biometric tracking. We applied some of our signal processing um, algorithms and some of that broadcast studio intellectual property and applied it to the voice space. And what we found was it was uniquely suited, that problem, meaning extracting voice, was uniquely suited for what our AI algorithms uh, were capable of. And so, um, yeah, to your point, this is not traditionally, you know, something that, you know, you fall upon uh, by you know, trying to solve the problem. We ended up solving the problem by coming from a very different angle and pivoting the company to a, a place where uh, we thought there was going to be applications. And we were just fortunate to have our technology start to mature at this, you know, I guess, renaissance of voice technologies. Uh, and as voice becomes a more ubiquitous type of interface, um, we find ourselves in a very enviable spot. And that kind of leads me on. I mean, you know, we've we've had voice assistants on our personal devices for over a decade now, or coming up to a decade. Some have been super successful. Others have kind of are there, but not necessarily at the forefront of our minds. And a lot of the time, we just use, you know, voice commands to say, well, turn this music on, pause that thing, send me a cooking timer. How do you think, or how important do you think, voice is going to be in controlling our devices in the future? Yeah, Stuart, I think part of the the uptick is what's happening in the conversational AI domain, right? Where instead of just giving static voice commands, now you can actually have more of a conversational type of interface with your device. Um, and if you're using some of the data associated with your usage, it becomes an interesting symbiotic relationship. Um, we're talking with a few companies that um, uh, basically prepare media for your consumption. So they have access to everything that you've consumed prior. They have access to your location. They have access to your preference, preferences rather. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, imagine a world where the conversational AI in the back end can speak to you and then start to recommend content for you to watch or for you to listen to. Uh, and so we see that happening across a lot of different verticals, uh, even in the smart home or IoT space where, you know, your home can start to suggest some of your normal cadence associated with your morning routine. 
but the, the real selling point of that outside of just moving towards, you know, moving deeper, I guess, into an interface world is the data associated, associated with how you interface with that platform as is as equally important to the uh, customer or the brand as your ability to interface, right? So just think about, you know, all of the data Google gets with your keystrokes. Well, when you're speaking to a device, I can basically extrapolate the same type of data based on your queries, based on your usage. And I get a much better view of my customer by basically taking all the text associated with, you know, translating that speech to text on the device to understand more about how to basically influence better uh, suggestions or influence, you know, maybe even purchasing um, power as far as, you know, what are you going to buy from my platform based on me being able to suggest things to you that are pertinent to your, your, your spending habits and your buying habits. So we see a lot of activity around using voice and voice interface also for data around the customer to basically help create a more symbiotic you know, type of a, of a conversation with the platform. And it feels that, as I said, we're, we're still on that journey and it feels that you know, some of the things you're talking about are still a fair way off. How, how fast do you think, and, and perhaps being able to use your technology to, to help our assistants understand us and hear us better, um, how, how fast do you think we'll start to envisage a world like that? Yeah, I, I think uh, very soon. If, if our time at CES, you know, two weeks ago is any indicator, um, <laughs> uh, I think it's, it's, it's sooner rather than later. Uh, one of the challenges isn't the back-end technology or the intelligence of the artificial platforms that, artificial intelligence platforms rather, that, that crunch these numbers. It's really the simple problem of a garbage-in, garbage-out type of, of scenario where if you cannot get the most uh, robust and clean voice signal at inception, all of the data that happens after that is corroded. So it's really just the barrier of entry of dealing with the art of the the, uh, the environmental challenges associating with cap associated rather with capturing voice um, is one of the hurdles that we see in the marketplace. And so, like I was saying earlier, you know, we had a, a tremendous amount of, of, of interesting conversations at CES around use cases that I would have never thought of. Um, but after, you know, talking to the brands that are, are pushing out these initiatives, you say, you know, that makes sense, specifically in a lot of areas where I would rather be using my hands for something else. Um, and so a lot of those situations are also environments that are not quiet like your home. They're in noisy environments. So once you take out the barrier of being able to capture the cleanest voice possible to run your analytics on, it becomes an interesting conversation. And do you think that's with the technology? I suppose the final question I have is with the technology that you've developed so far, is that something that is continually improving? And how far do you think you are on the journey for your own product of of getting to that element yeah. of removing yeah. the garbage to be yeah. able to process the garbage. Yeah, we're, we're, we're pretty, you know, pretty bullish on what we can do in noisy environments. It's, it's the foundation of our, of our technology and our, our value proposition is dealing with the noise. Um, so, you know, from that standpoint, we, we think that we're, you know, if, if it's just about cleaning up the signal, uh, we're in a very strong position to be very aggressive about that from a market standpoint. Um, I think the additional value in, to your point, your question about our maturity is also giving the metadata associated with the voice. I think it's more than just cleaning up the voice. There's also this, this interesting, um, relationship between the front end or the data I can extrapolate from the front end and working with conversational AI in the back end, where I can give, 
precursors around who's talking. Um, I can talk about the environment. Uh, I can give you direction of arrival. I can give you all these kind of nuanced cues about what's happening at the device level that you can use on the back end. And I think that's really where our growth is going to come as a company is um, drilling down into some of the other metadata uh, in voice. We are finding that the voice signal uh, by itself has a tremendous amount of information that if you can extract it, can be extremely helpful for some of these platforms. Panasonic has championed the Micro Four Thirds format for many years, growing its potential, increasing focusing on delivering high-capable videography tools for the quality-focused enthusiast. Since 2014, the company has been pushing the boundaries of what's possible, starting with 4K, for example, and moving on to support for other things. But does a new model make sense, given the GH5 M2 was released only two years ago? Pocalint's resident video man, Cam Bunton, has been using the new camera and is here to tell us more. So Cam, what's it like? Well, in a word, it's fantastic. Um, I think it's it's it stays true to what the GH series is all about, which is about giving you high-end performance for not too much money and in a relatively compact format. And so what's probably if you're if you're listening to this and you're thinking, okay, I've got a GH5 or maybe a GH4, it's it's getting a bit beaten up it's time to upgrade what's what am i going to what's what's the big sort of leap forwards here so the the big leap forwards it's as as you said in the introduction it's all about videography and those people who want the quality footage and so all the big improvements are all to do with the bit rates and the resolutions and the frame rates that you can record with this camera so for instance if you remember the iphone launch way back last year when they talked about apple prores mm. this can film 5.7k apple prores if you want it to which will eat up your memory in no time yeah. whatsoever um, but it's got these really high bit rate high frame rate recordings you can record 4k at up to 120 frames per second if you want to again memory allowing and battery allowing but the good thing about all of this is that it's it's completely unlimited recording. It'll record as long as you've got storage left on your card and as long as you have battery juice left in the battery. Um, so you're not limited and it doesn't crop into the sensor like some of the older cameras did. It's just a, a very good, very high-end camera. Yeah, because it's normally a case of these things, normally you get to a certain time frame or a certain memory storage and it just goes, yeah, thanks very much, you're done now. Cheers, and move oh, on. Yeah. So they've removed that issue. So do you think that's means that this opens up the potential massively for this camera to be used, you know, within documentary filmmaking or even Hollywood blockbusters? Well, it could, I mean, Hollywood blockbusters might be pushing it slightly. Um, documentaries for sure. Um, the good thing about it is it will, to explain a little bit, it's that it can record in full V-log, which is like a sort of grayscale, almost completely unsaturated profile of image that color correctors and color editors like to use because it gives them a completely blank slate and because it's such high bitrate you don't lose any color or data um, and so for that kind of for those kind of users it's fantastic and in a camera that costs about two thousand pounds for the body compared to some of the full frame stuff from sony um, it's it's very cheap and so who's this for who's going to buy this it's not wanting to film little johnny at the swing is it no this is uh, <laughs> no so for me, in my mind, it's it's for me. It's all for me. No, it's um, for people like myself, I think, who film and want to make good looking videos, um, don't have a huge budget to spend on 
really expensive full frame cameras, uh, but want that quality and don't want to be limited um, to the bit rates and the memory and the amount of time that you can record with. Um, I think that's essentially who it's for. It's for those who want the quality without having to stump up like five, six thousand pounds for a camera. So kind of, so kind of, effectively, therefore, you know, the advanced uh, YouTuber that isn't just, you know, isn't just starting out necessarily, but wants to create great quality video. Absolutely, and if it's anything like the GH4 or GH5, it could be a platform that they use for the next three, four, five years, and it will serve them well, even for that time. Cool. And so um, I suppose the question is, this is obviously you've had one. It's going back. How sad are you? Very sad. (laughs) I'm going back to my GH5 now, which is a few years old. Um, But yeah, it's it's been a lovely camera to use. Um, The only thing I would say that needs improving maybe is the autofocus. It's still not quite as quick as Sony, but on the whole, it's a fantastic camera. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip pip. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.